Welcome to Point Two Law Review. I'm John Brandt. And I'm Carson Messersmith. And we are here the week of July 18th through the 21st, 2023. We're going to go over the Nebraska Supreme Court opinions and Nebraska Court of Appeals decisions for this week. And uh, we're a little late this week. Sorry about that. Yeah, for the first time, really, I think we've dropped a, a pod this late. I guess we did do one, I think, on a Saturday, but it's delayed for a good reason. It is a good reason, and I gotta tell you, um, I don't know if you've traveled lately, but uh, the baggage fees were more than my flights. Ooh. So apparently you gotta pack lightly these <laughs> well, days. Well, it's insanely light. Like, the bag weighs 10 pounds, and then a certain airline only wanted 40 pounds, so the bag weighs 10 pounds. Shoes are 10... I, my wife's shoes. Excuse me. They were 10 pounds. Yeah. And then, you know, where you go from there? Over is what over. you do. Yeah. And, and what, I mean, they got you over a barrel. And what, what are you, you going to do? do? Yeah. yeah, you got to pay it. Yeah. Oh, I'll just leave it here on <laughs> yeah. the tarmac. Yeah, no, don't don't take that. <laughs> just yeah, just unload that part. There's no way I would ever need socks. Yeah, All no. Right. Anyway, we're here. Let's do the expertise summary real quick. Carson, go ahead. All right. So we start out with Sparks v. Mock. Statute of limitations filing against an estate. NP Dodge Management Company versus Teresa Holcomb. That is landlord-tenant moot trial by jury. All right, you ready? No, oh, I got, we got one, one more. more. Yes. Okay. Haynes versus Nebraska Department of Correctional Services. Right to drug test. Excellent. Well, you go right ahead. We'll start with the Nebraska Supreme Court opinions. Go, Carson. All righty. So we start with Sparks v. Mock, and this is uh, a case that is on f- petition for further appeal from the Court of Appeals. At the lower court level, the Court of Appeals had held that Kayleen Sparks' action for damages arising from a motor vehicle accident with Mock was a nullity because the original complaint was filed against the other driver's closed estate and its discharge special administrator. And so there's primarily three issues that exist in this case. The first is when the statute of limitations had run in this case. Second is if there was a validly filed complaint against the estate. And then the third issue is if there was a relation back. And so uh, what basically happens here is that Mock and Sparks are in an accident. Mock later dies of unrelated causes. And uh, and a probate is, is started. The PR is or it's open started closed pr is discharged sparks never receives notice and so this is one of those cases where i'm guessing that sparks probably had some lasting medical issues was continuing to treat and so was waiting right up until that four-year statute of limitations and so on february 24th of 2021 right before basically which it it looks like it was about a week before the statute of limitations had run sparks filed a complaint in the district course in the district court against David Mock, special administrator for the estate of Leo Mock, alleging that uh, Mock's negligence had contributed to a March 3rd of 2017 accident. And so then just quickly running through this timeline, after that complaint is filed, Sparks learned that the estate was closed. And so on March 5th, goes to files an application to reopen the estate and have David reappointed. And then on March 8th, Sparks serves David first with a summons and then the original complaint. Then on April 21st, Sparks files an amended complaint asserting that although David had previously been discharged as special administrator, the mock estate had been reopened and then uh, was was 
again, suing the, the estate on the same grounds. And so then the court issues a second summons at that point in time. And so basically we get this timeline where we have uh, – a complaint filed without an open estate, an estate gets opened, and then we have another um, amended complaint that's or a, uh, an amended complaint that's filed. And so what happens here is that the district court grants uh, summary judgment eventually, saying that the original complaint was a legal nullity because there was uh, not an open estate, and that the second amended complaint was also a nullity because there was no relation back because there was never um, a. a a legal complaint that had been filed because there was a, a discharged personal representative. And so the Supreme Court basically deals with this by going through, as I, I laid out the, the issues, first, uh, whether or not the statute of limitations had run uh, before any of these complaints were filed. And what there is in the uh, UPC or the Uniform Probate Code is an extension of the statute of limitations and what this basically says is that uh, there is a two-month extension of the statute of limitations when an action uh, could have been commenced against a person and then they pass there's a two-month extension um, from their time of death so it basically adds two months onto whatever statute of limitations would have existed and so here they find that that two-month suspension meant that in this case, uh, there was a uh, claim against the person, um, and that person had then passed, and so that, that two-month extension applied here, and so there wasn't a running on, um, uh, and i got to go back to the date, there wasn't a running on March 3rd, as there would have been, the running was instead on May 3rd. And so uh, they, the first issue they deal with is, was that extension or did that extension exist and here they found that that extension did exist and so then they had to find whether or not uh, there was a validly filed complaint against the estate and so if you remember from my facts section uh, files a complaint the first complaint realizes that there isn't an open estate then realizes oh shoot i've got an open estate or i have to open an estate then Sparks opens the estate, gets the PR reappointed, and then has an amended complaint. And what they find here is uh, that the amended complaint was vi validly filed against the personal representative after uh, the reopening estate, reopening of the estate and reappointment of the personal representative. And uh, they did find that that was appropriate because of that extension of the statute of limitations and everything else was um, served. And so then there's a second amended complaint that was after even that uh, two-month extension, and what they find with that second amended complaint is that because the uh, first amended complaint was validly filed with that extension of the statute of limitations and the estate being reopened, that there was relation back to that second amended complaint. And so therefore, they found that there was a valid claim um, against that estate and that because that, a second, because that amended complaint was timely and there was relation back to the second amended complaint, that there was um, a valid action here, that there wasn't a nullity and that therefore um, it shouldn't have been dismissed as a matter of law or because of any running of a statute of limitations, and therefore they reversed it and remanded it. Um, and this is one of those opinions, again, where there's a lot of um, issues of first impression. There's a lot. I mean, this is kind of one of those things that overlaps with um, litigation and both probate and the interpretation of UPC sections. They deal with a lot of the claims against the state. So this is one of those cases that I think is 
you know, a, a rundown case or a highlight case, one of those cases you get every few months that's like, okay, a lot of different practitioners should probably take a look at this because there's a lot of good language about both the Uniform Probate Code and litigation and, and presentation of claims, especially presentation of claims against the states. But anyway, that uh, the Nebraska Supreme Court there found uh, that the matter should be reversed and remanded. That is a wild procedural ride. Yeah, it is. And I probably did a terrible do- job of summarizing no, it, but it I, is. I followed um, you. It is a, a quite a timeline, and yes, quite a procedural right indeed. I do have to quiz you a little bit. So the uh, the two month little extension that is statutory, not judicially created. Yeah, so that is statutory. What's interesting is it it comes out of the UPC, which the UPC actually gives four months. So the Uniform Probate Court Code gives four months. Nebraska has shortened that to two months, but it basically means that it is a two months two month extension of any of those claims. And so even uh, the other presentation of claims uh, statutes that say you only have 60 days for filing of claims against the state, it it nullifies those and extends um, the the claims by that two months irregardless. Interesting. I I mean, there's there's some hypotheticals you can think about, but uh, yeah, that's an interesting case. Thank you very much. So I had MP Dodge Management Company versus Teresa Holcomb. Now, uh, this is an interesting case too, but it's a, it's a, Obviously, since the hashtag on it was moot, um, we'll, we won't get to the meat of things, but the, you've got a landlord-tenant case, which is basically what this is. Ms. Holcomb is a tenant. MP Dodge Management Company is the landlord. And there's four amicus on this, uh, on this briefing schedule here for this opinion. It's a breach of a residential lease, which led to an eviction. The defendant here, the Teresa Holcomb, she requested a jury trial. Um, she says it's unconstitutional for her not to be uh, given a jury trial because the Nebraska Constitution uh, permits a jury trial that will remain inviolate, which means um, the Landlord-Tenant Act that mandates a bench trial um, is overcome by the Nebraska Constitution that permits a jury trial. So they say, hey, we should have a jury trial on this. The, co- uh, the county court denied that and said, and the tenant appealed to the district court. And while it was an appeal to the district court, the county court issued a writ of restitution. And the defendant here was, uh, the, the writ of restitution was executed and the defendant was evicted while the district court appeal was uh, pending. The district court affirmed and then they appealed up to the Nebraska Supreme Court. And the question basically here was whether Nebraska's Landlord-Tenant Act uh, is, you know, violates the Nebraska Constitution as far as it mandates a bench trial. The Nebraska Supreme Court uh, says that eviction uh, without a remedy for the tenant makes it moot. The parties actually stipulated and said, hey, there's a public interest here. We got to figure out whether we need jury trials on all these evictions, uh, which would be absolutely wild. Uh, we need jury trials on all these evictions um, and whether the and the public interest exception applies. So you should probably rule on this. And the Nebraska Supreme Court says, wait a minute, we're not going to get into that. We're going to avoid deciding the constitutionality of the Landlord Tenant Act and whether it has to do with jury trials by finding its moot and then not, uh, you know, despite the party stipulation, not applying the public in- interest exception. So they're avoiding it. There's a concurrence here with three justices basically 
uh, saying, legislature, if you're listening, <laughs> you're going to have to fix this or we're going to fix it for you. And it's likely going to be an, an, a burden on, on county courts. I, and this isn't in the concurrence, but this is my interpretation of, of what is going on. But it's going to be a burden on the county courts to get juries together every time somebody needs evicted, especially in some of the bigger communities like Douglas County or, or Lancaster. Um, you know, having those people almost like a constant jury is what you'd need uh, to do those evictions. And it also makes me wonder whether this is going to be maybe broadened up. Uh, something they do in Texas, I know, is they have jury trials for uh, termination of parental rights cases. I don't know if you can, if once we get to that, whether you can try and extend that to uh, termination of parental rights cases and give a jury trial for those as well, because uh, I think that's probably where this could be logically extended to. But anyway, the, so ultimately they affirm the uh, district court here because of the issue of uh, as moot. They can't give the tenant any remedy, and they refuse to go into a public interest exception. So it is affirmed. That is MP Dodge Management v. Holcomb. Okay. Uh, next case we come to is Haynes versus Nebraska Department of Correctional Services, and this is an appeal from the District Court of Lancaster County. And basically what happens here is that Haynes was sanctioned by the um, Correctional Services um, Disciplinary Committee, so the Institutional Disciplinary Committee, uh, for uh, use of narcotics in his uh, jail cell. And basically he and his um, cellmate, uh, were caught by, for lack of a better term, by a guard. Uh, the guard pulls them out of their cell, and they had uh, what looked like drug paraphernalia, and then uh, they had bloodshot eyes, slurred speech, uh, multiple uh, things that indicated that they were under the influence of some kind of substance. And so after that, there's a, a report to the IDC. They hold a hearing on misconduct and found that uh, he was impaired um, and that he had uh, been under the influence and then he is sanctioned and I believe uh, what happens there is uh, 30 days it was some kind of uh, restriction um, for 30 days within the correctional facility and then also a loss of 30 days of good time which I guess is probably the the bigger issue here Um, but what Haynes argued at that time and then argued um, on appeal is that he had um, he had basically requested to be drug tested and they had not drug tested him. And so the entire crux of the issue on appeal is whether or not there is a uh, right to um, have to be drug tested before the IDC can make a finding that uh, you have violated uh, this issue. And basically what the Supreme Court says is that there is um, guidance that basically says that uh, under a Nebraska Administrative Code, uh, Chapter 6, uh, 8.01, basically says before an inmate can be disciplined for a drug or alcohol violation, the inmate may request and the NDC shall provide independent confirmation testing of positive results of your analysis testing. If the confirmation test is positive, the inmate may, may be required to pay the cost of confirmation test. And basically what they say there is that is only in the context of a confirmation test. So only if you test positive, may you be tested again. It does not uh, 
uh, grant you the right to be tested anytime that there is a sanction. And so that's basically how they deal with that and say that, yes, uh, you may have wanted to be tested, but they are not required to do any kind of drug test. And here there was enough information to uh, uphold uh, you being in violation uh, of those rules. And so therefore it was affirmed. All right. That's it for Nebraska Supreme Court. Let's go to Nebraska Court of Appeals. First one, Carson. Okay. And so we jump into the Nebraska Court of Appeals and here the first case we have is in Ray interest of Jessalina M. And this is an appeal from the uh, County Court of Cheyenne County uh, terminating uh, the parental rights of uh, Samantha M. to her daughter, Jessalina. And on appeal, of course, uh, the termination is at issue, but there's also an issue of transfer. Uh, This was a case that was originally filed in uh, Lincoln County and was transferred to Cheyenne County. And uh, just to go through that quickly, uh, basically what um, the juvenile uh, statutes say, uh, Section 43.282, is that a um, county court uh, where the juvenile is present or a, a, a county court um, that uh, has jurisdiction over the matter may uh, transfer to another county uh, where a juvenile is presently living or is domiciled at any time after adjudication and prior to final termination of um, jurisdiction and therefore so therefore they may be able to uh, transfer a matter um, after that time so after adjudication but uh, prior to uh, final termination and then uh, the county court that is it is transferred to takes jurisdiction and has uh, full charge of the proceedings control of the proceedings um, and then has the ability to uh, adjudicate the matter and so here um, there were some issues on appeal regarding the the procedural transfer and the big issue was that there was an objection to a case plan prior to the transfer that uh, the mother here argues was not taken care of uh, prior to that transfer and she had an issue with basically what happened uh, to this case plan and here the court of appeal says that there wasn't an issue with the transfer that basically the uh, court had dealt with uh, the case plan and changing the issues that she wanted changed prior to it being transferred and so that issue was basically moot and then as far as representation uh, she'd had adequate representation and then there was an argument that the GAL who was asking for the transfer wasn't present at the hearing um, and only presented an affidavit for why transfer should happen Uh, but at that point in time uh, the um attorneys for uh, Samantha had failed to object to the GAL not being presented and also failed to object to uh, the affidavit. And even though they uh, even had they objected to those things, there was still uh, adequate opportunity to present evidence why a transfer was improper. And so uh, her rights were not violated um, in any way. And therefore, the the transfer um, was procedurally fine. And then as far as best interests and fitness, this was a case where there was, uh, you know, out of home placement and had that had happened for a long time and then there were all kinds of issues that had happened um, in and outside of visitation and inconsistencies and things of that nature that we see in termination cases and the court of appeals affirmed all right i have interest of dm state nebraska versus chan w and deandre m this is a juvenile termination case uh, issues of domestic violence and incarceration 15 out of 22 were alleged um this is this is a good bubble case 
uh, analysis is what you have. You have uh, some parents who are good in some ways. They're bringing things to visits. They're, uh, you know, meeting some minimal safety standards on some issues. But there's domestic violence, you know, truth issues in run-ins with the law, incarceration, and some general safety concerns, as well as not everything in the case plan and everything that was ordered at the initial disposition being completed by the time of the termination. So you have a good law chunk here. And what I'm seeing lately, at least on the uh, termination cases that I'm seeing, which is, which makes sense, is if they have 15 out of 22, they're basically finding the 15 out of 22 prong in, you know, two paragraphs. And then they're doing a law chunk on best interest. So we have this big, long law chunk on what goes into best interest and how to determine whether a parent is uh, is fit or not in order to terminate their parental rights. So this has a good, good law chunk on best interest. And then it does a great discussion about how to, you can differentiate between you know a parent who's doing some positive things to somebody who's who's unfit ultimately here what they found was there was enough uh, evidence presented to terminate the parents parental rights here and they uh, did so and they affirmed the county court's termination of the parental rights but if you have a, a bubble case or what you know I call them bubble cases which are you know not completely clear-cut like there's some areas that they're good and some areas that they need some work on if you have some of those cases you might want to take a look here to see what's holding up in the Court of Appeals as far as juvenile termination is concerned is that it for this week I think that's it all right well let's see what should we talk about I don't know. Did you have a? I, I was gonna say in our in our first section. Did you have an airport bevy then? I, you know, I wanted to. Uh, it, the situation in arose because uh, when I arrived at DIA, these yeah. travel stories are dumb. But I, I I arrived at DIA and all the Taylor Swift ladies and people were leaving uh, Denver, and uh, it was the longest line I've ever seen in my life. It went through all of DIA, and we got to the end of that, and I barely made it on the plane. So there wasn't a you know airplane bevy time. Yikes. But I was fine. Yeah, but you made it. I mean, that's the main <laughs> thing. Yeah, you made it. And I sang every Taylor Swift song in the line, and we just had a grand old time. Hey, oh, yes. <laughs> that is Point to Law Review, brought to you by Anderson Klein, Brewster, and Brandt. We got uh, offices in uh, Holdridge, Minden, and Kearney. Uh, go back to episode one for the disclaimer. And I think that's it. I'm John Brandt. And I'm Carson Messersmith. Have a great week, everybody.